CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, it's The Hash coming to you live on Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Seward. My head is moving and everyone else's head is moving too. That's Will Foxley, Wendy O, and Jen Sanasi. You guys are the best. All right, let's get up to speed on what's going on in the world of crypto news. Got some fresh drama in the spat between DCG and Gemini. Will, take it away. Our heads are moving, but the Winklevoss wants some heads to roll. See what it did there? Pretty nice, right? The Winklevoss came out this morning with a really nice letter (laughs) at Barry Silbert, the CEO of DCG, which also owns Coindesk as disclosure, saying, we need this guy out. We need him out. So they wrote this very long letter, about four pages long. They posted it to Twitter, just like they did a few days ago, a few weeks ago at this point, a prior letter saying, hey, we need to engage with conversations with DCG in order to rectify the situation for Gemini Earn customers. This morning, they escalated a little bit, saying that the board needs to remove DCG CEO Barry Silbert immediately in order to rectify the situation for customers. Just as a recap, back in November, we saw that Genesis Trading and Lending halted withdrawals on its platform due to a hole in its balance sheet and liquidity issues. Gemini Earn, which has about $900 million under management, had to also withdraw or hold withdrawals to its customers because they were using Genesis to power their application. So now we're seeing like a little more fighting on Twitter. Wendy, I know you love this stuff. You love seeing the titans of the crypto industry, but heads, what's your take on the story? So, okay, they need to figure things out. I do appreciate the fact that they do want to kind of do this publicly. But again, you guys, at the same time, this is literally like um, Chase Bank and Wells Fargo CEOs like going head to head in real life on Twitter. You would never see that happen in a million years. So it does make our industry look a little bit crass. However, I'm here for the drama. I'm 100% for it. But at the same time, there's people's livelihoods that are going to be impacted by this. I don't understand why Cameron from Gemini is calling for Barry to step down from DCG board. It doesn't really make sense to me. I feel like that's kind of like a spectacle-esque part of it. I don't think that's necessary. And I don't think that's going to solve the problem. The way to solve the problem is to actually address the problem instead of you know, arguing and whatnot. I would love to give this over to Zach for his take. Yeah, it's a pretty spicy letter. The word fraud is thrown around quite a bit. And I think what's alleged here is just an intertangling of business interests that led to some bad stuff in the market. And I think 
Gemini is feeling the pain as it relates to its earned program. It should be said, DCG is out here on Twitter saying that this is a publicity stunt. This is some garbage. So, you know, they definitely are putting some words back toward Cameron here. But yeah, the allegations of fraud and the allegations of if Genesis were an independent business from the DCG empire, it wouldn't be doing this stuff. And it all comes down to the grayscale trade that really bit three arrows in the behind and has since bit many more in the behind as well. So the fact that this was intertangled with some of DCG's other business interests is to me what is the foundational allegation in this, again, pretty provocative letter, sort of laying out what Gemini claims to be the facts of the case at this point in time. So that to me, I think is potentially why uh, the call is so strong to remove Barry Silbert from the head of DCG, right? They're saying, hey, board, take some action, take some action now. It does uh, escalate the finger pointing here in this instance. The feuding is definitely ramping up, going up a notch. I don't know if the DCG board is going to take action on this, but it's going to be really fascinating to see how this unfolds beyond just sort of the retort tweet that we've seen from the DCG handle. Wendy, I'll toss it to you, though. I just not understanding, like, I get it, but at the same time, it's like, you can't tell other people what to do and you can't tell other people how to run their business. Like, they can't just remove him from the board just because Gemini says you need to do that. Like, I know that they've partnered, they've done business before, but that just kind of seems really ridiculous. And again, they need to, like, address the actual problem Yes, everybody kind of knew the risks about, you know, the earned features and different stuff like that. But at the same time, I will say that Gemini did a really, really good job letting customers know exactly what that was. I did use that product and it literally told you, like you're moving your crypto over here. This is not Gemini's company. It's like, you know, somebody we're partnered with. So I understood that it was going to a separate entity and it wasn't part of Gemini, even though it was marketed as Gemini Earn because I read the actual disclosures that popped up. So billionaires, gazillionaires going to beef. Jen, give us your take though, please. So Cameron is accusing DCG of some accounting malpractice here. I think that's why he's asking for Barry Silbert to step down. I think when we see these conversations play out in the public, it tells me two things. One, that there is maybe some frustration behind closed doors. They're not getting the answers that they hope to get from all of the parties involved. And this is maybe a last resort. And two, I think that he wants to show the Gemini Earn users that he is doing everything in his power to hold parties, stakeholders accountable for what is happening to their funds. Because users are out here saying, you know, I don't have access to my funds anymore. What's going on? They're not privy to the conversations that are happening behind closed doors. And so I think that this could also be a little bit of a communication strategy to get out there on Twitter, publish these open letters and say, hey, Gemini users, we're doing everything we can to get you access to your funds. And that includes asking very powerful CEOs to step down. Zach, I think I saw your hand go up. I was just going to say, it probably represents a pretty fractured relationship if they're airing it out in public at this point, right? If this is what it's resulted to, just this sort of public spat, probably suggests that behind the scenes, the process has broken down pretty significantly so that we're publishing you know, open letters to DCG board in this mm-hmm. instance. Probably the relationship there with what's going on behind the scenes um, has taken a turn for the worse. That's just pure speculation. But typically when these things go public like that, it's sort of a last resort. But Will, I'll give you the last word on this one before we change gears. Yeah, really quickly, I just want to mention the details are in this letter and everyone should go read it if you're interested in the storyline. Is that the mechanics of what happened here actually go back to May and June. So a lot of people are focusing on what happened with FTX in November. But this trade specifically occurred back in May and June, where Genesis, DCG, Grayscale, Gemini, all these firms were involved with a company called Three Arrows Capital that went belly up. And everything that's happening right now is because Three Arrows Capital's thesis 
went wrong and went sideways in a very spectacular fashion. And now everyone's trying to figure out how to get out of this mess. And I think it really sheds a bad light on top of a lot of people who were working with uh, Three Rose Capital, DCG, Genesis, Gemini. They were looking for yield. And they're looking for yield in a world that didn't have a lot of yield, right? Interest rates are at 0%. And they were looking for yield aggressively wherever they could. Uh, I think Gem- Gemini have like 7% yield or so. Uh, Wendy can fact check me there if she wants. But 7% in a world where everything else is 0%. That's the reason that all of this went belly up. But we'll move on to the next story. Throw it over to Jen. All right, guys. I'm becoming a little bit tired of talking about crypto. So I'm just bringing an <laughs> AI what? story to the table today. What? Just stick oh, with me. It's not AI much bad news. We're losing money. There's a crypto angle. <laughs> yeah. Zach's going to bring up the crypto angle. So we're talking about ChatGPT. And you know, to celebrate that we're talking about ChatGPT, I went and asked the AI to write this intro for me. So I'm going to read what ChatGPT has to say about this. And then I'll do a little bit of fact checking. Ready? Big news for the world of technology. Microsoft will reportedly invest $10 billion in OpenAI's cutting edge language model, ChatGPT. This powerful AI tool is set to revolutionize the way we interact with technology and Microsoft's investment will help bring it to even more people. With the ability to understand and respond to human language, ChatGPT is changing the game for businesses and individuals alike. Get ready for a whole new world of possibilities thanks to Microsoft and ChatGPT. So, you know, ChatGPT really getting some marketing in there. I'll give you some facts from the story before I toss it off to Zach. So Microsoft reportedly plans to invest $10 billion in ChatGPT as part of the round that would value the company at $29 billion. The deal would see Microsoft get a 75% share of OpenAI's profits until they make their money back, and then they would assume a 49% stake in the company. Zach, tell us the crypto angle here. Sam Altman, baby. Sam Altman is the founder (laughs) of OpenAI. Sam Altman is also the founder of WorldCoin. Remember the orb? The orb that would go around and scan (laughs) people's eyeballs and give them tokens in return for their eyeballs. It's still around. That's Sam Altman's crypto thing. So anyway, if he cashes out bigly over at OpenAI, watch out, WorldCoin fans. They're going to scan your eyeballs because that's going to be the next thing that he's going to take over. But Wendy, I guess you have some info. So I'm going to toss it your way. Okay. I don't remember if this is exactly the way that it played out, but I remember that SBF was talking about being an investor in WorldCoin or that somebody found out that he was because on the website and crypto Twitter absolutely lost their minds. That should have been the first red flag right there, guys. That right there should have told us all the crypto contagion was going to happen with the investment in WorldCoin. Jen, I adore you so much, but I like the real you and not the AI Jen version. So please just keep communicating as yourself. Please don't use AI, especially when we DM. (laughs) Thank you. I won't. I won't. I will say I encountered the orb at EthanY last year and got into like a little bit of a contentious conversation because I didn't want to have my eyeballs scanned. But Will, I think I saw your hand go up. (laughs) Scanning eyeballs without consent? Don't know if I want to be involved with that project. One thing I want to bring up, this is kind of like a nerdy corner for for Zach and I for a second. VC World, this is a $10 billion funding round from at least Microsoft here. And they're getting 75% of profits until that is paid off. And then they get a 49% equity stake in the company. And that's a pretty crazy funding round uh, as far as the ones I've seen or compared to crypto. In crypto, we've seen huge funding rounds. $10 billion is far larger than any other funding round I've seen today. I think most crypto ones, large crypto ones, go into the uh, nine plus figures. But that's about it. So the, the largest one that comes to memory is actually one for FTX, where they raised about 
$900 million. Zach, I want to get your thoughts on that because like even the profit strategy for Microsoft seems a little interesting there where they get like 75% of profits until they get all their money back. Yeah, obviously this is being framed as sort of the way that Microsoft can compete with Google, right? So if they get the AI juice into their search product, that Bing, I guess, or whatever it is they, they use over there, that might be their way to enter the search market in force, right? And the search market is a huge market. There's tons of ads that are served up. There's tons of revenue that, come, that comes from targeted advertising. So obviously maybe the math works out. I would assume that they would do their due diligence. Obviously we've seen venture capital investors not do a ton of due diligence and some other projects that will go unnamed, at least in this segment. But I guess the math adds up in terms of Microsoft getting potentially a competitive advantage in rolling out this really powerful tool across its suite of products since they've been you know, playing catch up to Google for a number of years now. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, hopefully that math checks out. But Jen, what do you think? I think this shows, you know, we speak so much in the industry about actually having a real CVP for the end user, not focusing on the technology and, and the intricacies of the technology. And I think that ChatGPT kind of showed this. They, they acquired a million users in less than a week because they were able to show real value to the end user. And they didn't go, you know, down the rabbit hole of explaining the AI and how the machine learning is going to work. They just showed users that if you put some very brief information into this tool, it's going to speak just like a human and potentially could help you out in your day-to-day endeavors. So I think they, they did a, a really good job at proving out something that it, I think in our industry needs to be addressed, but we'll give it to you for last words. Yeah, no, I'll just throw it out from the comments in our internal chat, right? This is going to take all our jobs. So you know, the hash will be over pretty soon here. Just have chat GBT boxes on the four panel I, and we'll be talking to each other. And that's it. With AI-generated that's images it. of us. Mm-hmm. You can tell the difference. It's Nobody's going to, I'm telling you, not this generation, next generation maybe, but people need human interaction. It is scientifically proven. You have to have we love that the physical humans. touch. You have we to have the real the thing. Like, I like Jen. I don't like Jen AI, okay? Please. We have to talk about boink, bonk. I don't even know anymore. But bonk, you know, to mint. NFTs on Solana based. Not boink. You know, I'm going like to call boink. I'm going to call boink instead. I like boink. That's what I'm going to call all right. <laughs> we're, re- we're rebranding on this show. So Bonk Eno to mint NFTs on Solana-based marketplace, Magic Eden, but there's a catch. So this is, the way they're doing it is actually interesting. So there's going to be approximately 15,000 NFTs on the Solana marketplace, and it's going to be made with collaboration with top soul-based projects. There are no plans for utility. I love the fact that they're stating this right off the bat, that there's no plans for utility. If I ever launch an NFT collection, no utility at all. You're just buying it to buy it. But another thing too is it's a very community-driven project and over 8,000 NFTs will be left to be minted for Bonk holders. And the NFTs only cost about $25 worth of Bonk and secondary trading will be transacted with Sol. I really do think that this is a ploy to kind of keep Solana alive. I know a lot of people um, in the industry are kind of moving over from Solana to Ethereum Polygon. I think that this is a great way to maybe kind of help Solana. But at the same time, I still do think Solana is a very, very risky play considering all of this stuff in affiliation with FTX Alameda not financial advice. Let me go ahead and send this over to Jen because she likes NFTs more than Will. I definitely like NFTs more than Will. I think that is a fact on on this show. So I wasn't here the first time we spoke about Bonk, but I think it's interesting they're launching an NFT project. I think it's interesting that during a bear market, the meme coins still have an edge. You know, we can see these communities come together and do insane things. I don't know if I agree with you though, Wendy. I, I don't know if NFTs as a, as a profile picture, as just art, really are going to continue into the next 
bull cycle. It feels to me, actually, coming off of our last story, that AI has kind of stolen that thunder. Everyone's doing these AI-generated profile pictures. The fad of having your NFTs or profile picture, I don't know if it's going to last. And I would love to see some kind of thought around the utility for this community. Because at the end of the day, they're trying to form a community, right? But they're saying this NFT has no utility. So what is this membership to the community giving me other than a profile picture? Just really quickly, I think the reason... Okay, so we know that crypto is very tribalistic, like super, super tribalistic, especially when we're talking about Bitcoin Maximalist, for example, or the XRP army. So I think what it is, is if you have one of these NFTs, you're part of the community. And that, like, even though that has no utility, you still are. So like when NFT NYC or any of these NFT conferences, when these communities, when they do like parties and conferences or whatever, you can get special access to special things. I don't know if this team is going to do that. But at the end of the day, if I can actually own my profile picture, like it's like owning the cop, like the IP with it, I would prefer to do that. I would feel more comfortable doing that. It makes me happy. So just my thoughts. Yeah, I'll pick it up from there. Let's talk about Solana a little bit. Since we talked about it a lot in uh, late December when they had some tough price actions, actually swung up a little bit more at the end of the year, a little bit better than a lot of the top competitors like Bitcoin and Ethereum for the month of December. So there's a little momentum there. I think it doubled from its bottom low there. So we're around $17 per Solana token. That's just the boring stuff, though. We don't talk about price action too much on this show. We do talk about the bonks, though. And the bonk here is that they want more interest in the token. So whoever launched this, I don't know a ton about the project, but they're basically running back the whole meme gambit, right? You airdrop a meme token to a lot of people, get some interest in the underlying technology, you get more adoption, more people open up Solana wallets, maybe they mint some Solana NFTs. And then you kind of get back on your own legs, which is pretty smart if you're a new token project trying to fight and uh, elbow your way into a very crowded room, especially during a bear market. I don't know when this fizzles out. I will say, as a pessimist for meme tokens, this does fizzle out at some point. And then in two or three years, it'll come roaring back when people remember like, oh, there's that bonk token. We should buy some more of it. Zach, I'll boot up to you for your take. Bonk, bonk NFTs, just the combination of meme tokens and NFTs. It's just, it has it all. That's all I'll say. It's I just like saying the word bonk. Not boink, it's bonk. But anyway, boink, it's nice. All right, let's change gears. We're going to talk about a hot new podcast. It just dropped today from Coindesk. And here is a sneak peek. Get ready. You know the name, you know the memes, but do you know the real story? Follow the trail of destruction and lies. When Coindesk presents Crypto Crooks, Season 1, BitConnect. I know that sexy voice. It's David Morris. And joining us now live to talk about his new podcast, Crypto Crooks, is David Morris. David, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about this new podcast you're doing. Hi, everybody. Crypto Crooks, we're very excited. It's out today, Episode 1. We are sort of rewinding a little bit. One of the big ideas for the podcast is that history is a powerful teacher. And those of us who have been around in crypto for a while certainly remember BitConnect, which happened in about 2018, and sounds an awful lot like some of the stuff we encountered in 2022. So we're diving in, we're digging up some angles of the story that I think a lot of people don't know. Yeah, we have some great music and it's going to be fun. I hope everybody listens. Did you get to interview... BitConnect Carlos. No, unfortunately, we, we didn't get that this time around. You know, he has been around for a few years, but he's not terribly involved in crypto anymore. And one of the points that we make in the podcast is that even though he's highly associated with the project, Carlos Matos was uh, 
was a victim rather than a perpetrator of this scam. And so we decided to give him his peace and focus on the bad guys. I actually like that you did that because there's many, many times we get these crypto exposers or these scam exposers and they like to implicate other people that literally had no knowledge of what was going on to kind of push their narrative and to kind of make it more clickable, et cetera. But I think it really, when they do that, I think it takes away from the story, the actual story and what actually happened. And it kind of discredits them to people who can actually use their brains to see. That's just my opinion, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can certainly get over uh, enthusiastic. But one of the things about this story that, that's quite interesting is that it was a pyramid scheme, uh, along with being a fraudulent fake crypto which means that there were levels of people who, you know, those of us who were around in 2018 certainly remember, and 2017 certainly remember a lot of YouTube influencers talking about BitConnect and how great it was, which uh, will sound familiar to people who uh, were looped into BlockFi or Celsius or some of those other things that turned out to not be quite as advertised this past year. And so those people, the influencers, the promoters, um, are people that we, we talk about a little bit because they profited, um, and some of them may and some of them may not have, have known exactly what was going on. And so that's one of the ambiguities of, of stories like these that you have to navigate. David, you just said history is a great educator, right? And so while you were diving into this, researching, putting the podcast together, what is like one of the main things you learned that the audience can take away from this? Well, in the case of BitConnect, you know, the space was a lot smaller back in 2017 and 2018, and the amount of journalistic firepower focused on it was also a lot smaller. So a lot of the nuances of the story really didn't go out at the time. And probably the big one um, was the, the specific source and origin of the BitConnect scam, which was in Gujarat, India. And we tell the story not just of, you know, how it developed in Gujarat and some of the fallout that happened there, which included like kidnappings and blackmail after the thing collapsed um, and a lot of fun, crazy details, but also the bigger picture and, and some, you know, very fascinating threads that people have pulled on connecting BitConnect to the BJP, the ruling party of India. And those have been allegations laid by opposition parties there. And we go into uh, how it connects with some people will remember demonetization, which was the order that came down from India's leaders to uh, make certain bills invalid as a way to get rid of illicit money. And that played a major role in what happened with BitConnect, which I think is a, an element that most people are not familiar with and that I think crypto folks will find very fascinating. David, I have a question about how you're researching for this podcast in general. What sort of sources are you looking at? Are you going to like Bitcoin talk forums, talking with like old people who are involved with these scams? What's like the legwork like for this project? Yeah, uh, well, for now, we're, we're starting off fairly conservative in our scope. Basically, we're just taking reporting that has already been done and putting it into a package that is, you know, exciting and tells the story all in one place. We include interviews with experts who have commentary and some people who were close to the events. Our new reporting is relatively limited. We, we definitely are just trying to highlight stuff that is already out there and put it into a format that's really easily digestible. And going forward, we'll hopefully be able to do more, more new reporting and break open new angles of these stories because there will be future seasons. We're going to do a bunch of these. Uh, I'll do the throw. Zach. Oh, this way. Zach. Hey, I'm here for you. I wanted to ask about those future seasons. I mean, the Hall of Fame of crypto crime is 
jammed to the gills of great, crazy stories, whether it's Quadriga mm-hmm. or even more recent implosions. What's on the short list for future episodes slash seasons? Uh, so I'm not actually sure whether we're saying that yet, but what? I will say our next season will be coming out really soon in mid-February to correspond with our sponsor, Chainalysis's new report. And that will cover a much more recent scandal, let's say. Wow. David really gave us the no comment. I love that with chain analysis. That's awesome. I'm I'm intrigued now. I got to listen. Yeah, we were very happy to get the support from chain analysis. They're they're a perfect sponsor for the show. Exactly. Super perfect. I have to throw it to the end. That's David Morris. He's the host of a brand new podcast, Crypto Crooks, brought to you by the Coindesk Podcast Network. Go check it out. You can find it on all platforms. Yeah, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find them there. That's it. Thanks for being here, David. We appreciate your time. That's it for the show today. Gotta go. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.